the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Good day and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Today we're discussing the latest allegations about NAMA from independent TD Mick Wallace. We're also going to have another look at the banking inquiry now in its 25th week. I'm joined in studio by Mark Paul, Irish Times business affairs correspondent. And also with us is Kieran Hancock, finance correspondent and our man in Leinster House for the bank inquiry. But first to NAMA, there's been more allegations today on the floor of the Dáil from Mick Wallace, the independent TD, who first raised the matter a couple of weeks ago. Mark Paul, what is the latest? Well, Mick Wallace got to the floor of the Dáil today uh, on two separate occasions. Um, um, at, at about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, he got up and he made a number of serious allegations in general about NAMA, not directly related to Project Eagle and its sale of uh, loans in Northern Ireland, but uh, the most striking allegation that he made was he said he had been in contact with a construction company that was a client of NAMA and that that construction company was close to exiting uh, its NAMA loans and, 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 and exiting its involvement with the agency and that, uh, according to Mick Wallace, um, um, uh, an official of NAMA asked the construction company for €15,000 in a bag um, in order to speed the process along. Um, and then, according to Mick Wallace's account, a couple of weeks later, um, 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 asked for the same thing again, uh, another fifteen grand in a bag. Um, and that, uh, very shortly afterwards, that construction, company, um, that construction company exited NAMA and finished its involvement with the agency. A very, very serious allegation. Now, on foot of that, um, Brendan MacDonald, the chief executive of NAMA today, wrote to, uh, to the guards to say that they had no knowledge of any of this. And they seem to suggest that if under under the, the, the laws surrounding NAMA and the NAMA Act um, and the Criminal Justice, Justice Act, that, that if he is aware of these sort of allegations, he's obliged to go to the guards himself. Um, so Brendan McDonough has asked the guards to investigate this allegation, this specific allegation. And this is a letter from Brenda McDonough to the Garda Commissioner herself? To, to, to Noreen O'Sullivan herself, yeah, and that was sent uh, this afternoon. So we'll wait to see what comes of that. But he did make a couple of other allegations um, um, in, his, in his first statement. He also um, he made some references to John Moran, who is the former Secretary General of the Department of Finance. And uh, he just made some oblique references to John Moran's involvement with um, 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 uh, Crone, the Mayborn Hotel Group, and that whole palaver with Paddy McKillen and Barclay Brothers. And, and just how involved John Moran uh, had, had, had been in that whole situation. Now, that has been aired publicly before, and he didn't go into any further detail on that. So it remains to be seen what he's getting at with John Moran there, who, of course, is entitled to his good name and his reputation, and, 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 and there's no innuendo from what uh, Mick Wallace has said. But, um, um, but I, I, I don't think Mick Wallace has lobbed that in just for the crack, so to speak. So Mick Wallace is speaking under dull privilege. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely clear. Has there been any response as of yet from John Moran? No response yet from John Moran. I contacted him today. Um, I made contact with him today and he's yet to return that contact. Um, and no response from him yet. Um, um, it, it's a little difficult for him, I suppose. You know, uh, Mick Wallace uh, is, is able to bring his name in, into into discussions under, under, as you said, under dull privilege. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure John Moran will respond. When his name was dragged into the sites of Palava, he did respond eventually. Um, um, and when Alan Jukes dragged his name into that, he did respond in his own time. But um, other, other, other allegations made today by Mick Wallace were that um, a large number of barristers and lawyers and judges and uh, senior partners in a 
accounting firms um, had been, as he said, treated very, very kindly um, 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 by NAMA in terms of property syndicates they were involved in. And he said it was uh, Mick Wallace termed it as goodwill was shown to these people. I guess what he was hinting at was that one law for the rich and, and, and another law for the poor, that if you're you know, if you uh, you're late with your mortgage repayments, you get clobbered over the head. But if you're a judge or, or, or a senior accounting professional um, with loans to NAMA, that you get treated very kindly. Um, again, very, very general in, in the accusations he and, made. And these are allegations he didn't bring forward actual evidence before no. the house to substantiate the no and, and 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 nor did he name any uh, senior professionals who he said had been treated kindly um, he said it in a very very general way again he didn't produce any specific evidence what's been the nama response to this series of allegations now from Mick Wallace? Well, this evening Nama uh, issued a statement, a very, very detailed statement, and it dealt with um, his four main allegations from this morning, one by one. Um, and first of all, they dealt with the uh, with the allegation about the 15 grand in a bag. They said that um, um, that he should go to the Gardaí, that they've contacted the Gardaí, and that they understand now that um, the, the Gardaí uh, are going to investigate this. Um, then they dealt with um, uh, uh, Deputy Wallace's allegation about special treatment being given to, to syndicates of professional borrowers, judges and so on. Um, and NAMA made a point, as it often does in such cases, but it specifically said it treats all debtors equally um, and as a state body that is legally obliged to do so. Um, um, it it, it, uh, it says that you know everything that it does is about um, 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 getting uh, the best return for taxpayers um, and uh, it says it will continue to work towards recovery for taxpayers um, um, regardless of vested interests. And that's really what Mick Wallace was getting at, was that there was vested interests here, accountants, lawyers, judges, and so on, um, who, uh, who 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 have a vested interest in, in, in how NAM operates. Then they dealt specifically with what uh, Mick Wallace said about John Moran, the former Secretary General. General of the Department of Finance, uh, if you call, um, um, what what Deputy Wallace said was 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 that John Moran was very involved in the sale of the loans of the company that owned the Mayborn Hotel Group. Now NAMA have come out and um, quite clearly and said this is untrue. They said he had no involvement in NAMA's decisions on this matter. Um, and then uh, there was also a very specific point made by by uh, Mick Wallace that um, that NAMA was aware last in January of this year that the seven million pound payment to this Isle of Man account in to the Northern Ireland loans, that, that NAMA was aware of it. Um, NAMA has come out again quite specifically and said that it's untrue. Um, and they say they, they, they've already, they say we have already confirmed that the first we knew of this payment was two weeks ago following news reports on the issue. Um, the statement then goes on to uh, uh, to deal with a, a, a number of other issues that were raised by Mick Wallace later in the day. Um, they said that, um, that Frank Cushnahan, uh, the former member of the Northern Ireland Advisory Committee of NAMA, they say he didn't have access to confidential NAM information. This was something that Mick Wallace raised in the afternoon. Um, um, and uh, they, they dealt then with, um, um, you know, why did, why did NAMA not suspend the process of the sale of the Northern Ireland loans once it became um, um, aware of, 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 of this supposed £5 million payment for Frank Cushnahan? They said they didn't suspend it because they were satisfied, based upon the amount of interest that had been shown, shown in the portfolio, um, that their minimum price would be achieved. Um, so, you know, they've come out, they've dealt with Mick Wallace's allegations and questions uh, quite specifically, um, um, but uh, I think that's probably unlikely to satisfy him from a political point of view, at least. Um, and uh, I expect him probably to raise more questions, whether through the media uh, or, or, or when the doll resumes in, 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 uh, after the break. Maybe he'll do it then, but I don't think this is going to go away just as easily as that. 
Kieran Hancock, what's your response to all of this? These are certainly unusual items to be coming up in uh, Northern Ireland questions. Yes, absolutely. I mean, clearly McWallace has thrown a lot of mud in the direction of NAMA today. Um, we'll wait and see if it can be substantiated. He's done it under the guise of dull privilege. Uh, we'll wait and see. I, you know, NAMA has a problem, and NAMA's big problem is transparency, and it thinks it's the most transparent organisation in the world. But well, you've been writing about this today in your, in your column yes. in the Irish Times. Uh, but in fact, it's not. Um, and there are a lot of questions that we don't know the answers to uh, in relation to NAMA. For example, who are the big debtors uh, who, who had their loans transferred to NAMA? Now, NAMA will always cite the fact that um, these people signed contracts uh, with banks and they're entitled to confidentiality. Those contracts were simply moved to NAMA. Um, and that's all very well. But the fact is that uh, some really important legal rights, if, if you like, were trampled on um, in setting up NAMA and in having loans transferred from the banks um, to NAMA. And taxpayers were put on the hook for the potential liability in relation to those loans, uh, specifically 30 billion euro in, in the case of NAMA. A, a substantial money. amount of money. And I, I think the taxpayer had a right to know who these big developers were who had their loans transferred, because we're talking about people and entities that had loans uh, in the billions of euros transferred to NAMA. And I think they also had a right to know uh, how much uh, was transferred as well. Uh, but they certainly had a right to know. In my opinion, they had a right to know um, who these big developers were. I don't think anybody, uh, you know, if they're, if they're going to benefit from a taxpayer write-off, which is essentially what happened, because NAMA uh, brought these loans over at a substantial discount and the banks had to fill that hole on their books. And that hole was filled in the main by taxpayers because all Bar Bank of Ireland was taken into the ownership of the state following the crash in 2008. So taxpayers are on the hook for pretty much all of these uh, loans and I think they have a right to know uh, precisely uh, the details of, of all of this. And the the really unusual thing about the NAMA structure is that this constitutes a huge involvement of the state in what is ordinarily private business. In other words, this is normally uh, commercial transactions undertaken as between private people in business and private banks on the other side. Yes, but and that's, that's not that's, the case in NAMA. That's what I mean when I say that they, they, those people, those business people, effectively had their uh, legal rights trampled on by having these loans transferred to NAMA. The, you know, there was a new sheriff in town, if you like. And, you know, the normal laws of competition were set aside in Ireland after the financial crash to deal with uh, the crisis and to deal with the setting up of NAMA. It's quite an unusual construct. We've never seen the, the like of it before anywhere in the world in terms of its scale and complexity and, and so forth. And I think the other, um, another issue around NAMA is that uh, one moment, you know, they can't disclose the details of a transaction for commercial uh, reasons, uh, which was the case with Project Eagle when they first announced it in April 2014. They said that the details wouldn't be, they were commercially sensitive and they couldn't be disclosed. And yet when they went in front of an Oireachtas committee just eight weeks later, uh, they were put on the spot about how much um, they had sold Project Eagle for and they told the committee how much they had sold Project Eagle for. You know, just eight weeks earlier, they said this could not be disclosed on the pain of death. And yet, when they had their, and yet when they had their collar felt by an Oireachtas committee, they were able to disclose it. And there are plenty of other instances where they have revealed details um, to the Oireachtas uh, committees. Uh, that they're not prepared to reveal in any other forum. So I think this is I think this is really unacceptable, quite frankly, because it is a taxpayer-funded um, entity. They're, they're there to do work on behalf of the taxpayer. And I, I think this opaqueness that goes around a lot of its work is just unacceptable. Um, now, all of this takes place, Mark Paul, against the backdrop of original allegations made by Mick Wallace a couple of weeks ago on the floor of the House 
those allegations centered on a sum of money being in a, an account uh, in the in the Isle of Man. This relation related to the sale of the Project Eagle portfolio, the single biggest. NAMA transaction. Where are we now in that entire process? Well, there's a there's a plethora of investigations going on into the whole situation. Um, as you said, the, 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 this, the, the, I suppose the, the genesis of this whole um, um, story was, was when Mick Wallace stood up and said there was seven million pounds. He alleged in, in the doll there was seven million pounds sitting in an account in the Isle of Man that was or had been found in an account in the Isle of Man um, that was destined for, he said, a Northern Ireland politician, um, and uh, and that it, it arose from the sale of Project Eagle. Um, so that that set off a, a, a political bomb. And then now we have uh, we have a, a police investigation up in nor- up in Northern Ireland. So the PSNI are, are are doing an investigation in conjunction with the UK's National Crime Agency. That's probably the most important one. Um, and then you have the various political committees. The Storm and Finance Committee is holding an investigation. The Public Accounts Committee down here has already held hearings into it. Um, the Law Society is also looking into um, the movement of the £7 million um, um, to, to the Isle of Man because, of course, that was done at the behest of the managing partner um, of a, uh, his name is uh, Ian Coulter, the managing partner of Tunes, a solicitor's firm that was acting for a solicitor of Cerberus, the, the buyer of the loans. Um, and Ian Coulter has, in the last 24 hours, issued his uh, first public comments on this entire affair. He has. He issued a statement at midnight last night, I think, was it? Pretty close to midnight. He said that... Um, um, he acknowledged that 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 seven million pounds was transferred to the Isle of Man under his direction. Um, he said that money wasn't destined for a politician or a relative of a politician, but he didn't say what it was doing in the Isle of Man in the first place. Um, I think his statement was more interesting for the questions he didn't answer, as opposed to the questions that he did answer. He denied any wrongdoing, um, um, and he, he completely denied there was any wrongdoing. But um, I think I, I, the old cliche, his statement really did raise more questions than answers. And he is no longer with Tunes. He's no longer with Tunes. No, um, uh, he was the manager partner and uh, um, um, following um, um, the discovery of, of the £7 million in the Isle of Man. Now he says he brought this to the attention of Tunes. Tunes, after he made his statement today, Tunes came out and said they disputed his version of events. So there's currently a dispute between Tunes and their former managing partner um, Ian Coulter, who's a very uh, well-got businessman in Northern Ireland. Very, very, uh, you know, he's a former head of the Confederation of British Industry in Northern Ireland. Very, very senior business figure. Very, very well-respected. Uh, business figure, so he's so not, he's not someone with any public profile on this side of the border. He's not someone who'd be well known at all. There'd be virtually no profile, and yet in the in the world of Belfast business. He's quite well known. He's he, 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 he's a big fish. He's been he's he's been uh, in, involved in a lot of deals. Another central character in it who's um, who's very well known north of the border and less so down here is Frank Cushnahan. Um Frank Cushnahan, um, um Frank Daly, the the the, 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 the chairman of, uh, of of NAMA, um, in front of the Public Accounts Committee, said that. A former bidder, PIMCO, a former bidder for the, for, for the Northern Ireland loans, um, 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 was due to make a £5 million payment, or a £5 million payment was due to be made to, uh, to, to Frank Cushnahan, who was a former member of the advisory committee of NAMA in Northern Ireland in relation to the sale of, uh, of, of, of the, the Northern Ireland loans. Now, NAMA wasn't happy about this, and, and as a result of NAMA's unhappiness, PIMCO withdrew its bid. Um, um, Frank Cushnahan, uh, it has since emerged, had uh, an office in the same building as Tunes, um, um, and there was a suggestion that he had a very, um, uh, a very good working relationship um, 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 with, with some of the staff in Tunes. Um, um, so Frank Cushnahan, again, he's another one of these figures that's very well known north of the border, a corporate financier. Um, um, he's been involved in building science parks. He's been involved. He was a member of the Northern Ireland Executive, but he did resign very abruptly from the advisory committee of. of Northern Ireland and nobody knows why. 
And has Frank Kushnahan said anything about all of this? His name has been in circulation now for two, two, uh, three weeks. He said very, very little. Uh, he, he's, he's maintained, um, um, like Ian Coulter, he's maintained that he hasn't done anything wrong. Um, um, and he's, uh, uh, he's also said that he's, um, uh, you know, he's, he's reserving his right to protect his reputation legally if need be. Um, so he hasn't... Um, he ha- Nobody knows this £5 million payment uh, or proposed payment for Frank Cushnahan that Namas had became aware of. Nobody knows what services were where to have been rendered for that money. And that, I think, is a really central um, 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 aspect to this whole palaver, to this whole, to this whole situation. Um, and what was Frank Cushenhan supposed to be paid £5 million for? Um, um, when Mick Wallace spoke in the Dáil today, um, for two or, two or three minutes previous when he spoke, I suppose his close political colleague, Claire Daly, she also got up and spoke about this. Um, and she raised, uh, according to her, um, 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 uh, Tunes, the solicitor's firm here, only worked on this deal for four weeks and she she posed the question how could a firm of that size um, 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 uh, earn such a sizable fee over seven million pounds in four weeks in Coulter today confirmed that he was the only member of staff at tunes who ever worked on this deal um, on, on, on on the project legal transaction so I think that's another very pertinent question that was raised by Claire Daly in the doll Karen Hancock that's quite a that's quite a rate for a four weeks work it is it's quite extraordinary yeah I wonder why um, Nama to the best of my recollection Nama has not been asked uh, how Frank Cushnahan came to be on the uh, advisory committee uh, in in Northern Ireland perhaps they have I don't, I don't know I haven't followed every twist and turn in this but it would be very interesting to know what skills uh, he brought uh, to the to the committee in the first place? Well, well, well this, this, the suggestion has been Frank Cushnahan is um, he, he's seen as being over the years very very close to the leadership of the DUP. Um, he worked he worked in the office, for example, of Peter Robinson, uh, the first minister of Northern Ireland. Um, it's 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 thought and and, and and it's been suggested that Sammy Wilson, who was then the Northern Ireland finance minister, that he lobbied Brian Lennon quite quite heavily for Frank Cushnahan um, um, to be appointed to the committee. Um, 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 Brian Lam- when when, when uh, politicians in Northern Ireland became aware just how influential Lamo was going to be over the Northern Ireland business sphere, they said, "Listen, we need a stake in this. We need a Northern Ireland advisory committee because this affects us. You know, it's not just um, taxpayers down south." Um, so Brian Lenehan invited um, 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 Sammy Wilson. Give me a few names. He basically said, "Give me a few names of people who you think might serve well on this committee." And Frank Cushenham was one of the names suggested by Sammy Wilson. Kieran. Arthur, the allegations that have been put out there in the last couple of weeks are extraordinary in relation to NAM and the Northern Ireland transaction and, you know, the bags of cash and, and so on and so forth. And they really give oxygen to the view that NAMA was nothing more than uh, a setup for uh, property developers. Now, I'm not saying that yeah. that is, is in any way true, right? I'm and sure NAMA if NAMA would, were here today, NAMA they would, would say absolutely not. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. But it certainly gives, uh, you know, it, it gives, for people outside um, the business community, it gives... It gives oxygen to the view that uh, you, you know the, the NAMA, the whole NAMA construct was was really more to the benefit of of um, developers and financiers and so on than than to the ordinary taxpayer who's basically having to stand over the potential liability involved. Well, it's certainly. I mean, when you when you have these kind of allegations being uh, trashed around, you have uh, you know people on the in parliamentary committee saying, "Wow," when the the, the chairman of NAMA is putting figures out there and allegations out there that have been made as regards you know, supposed arrangements for very large payments to be made uh, on the back of individual transactions. It's a, it certainly is a quite, a, quite disturbing, these, these, these allegations. 
They are disturbing. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I suppose, look, we'll just have to see how they play out, uh, really, see how much mud actually um, sticks to Nama. But there are a lot of questions out there that need to be answered. And I think Nama has to do a much better job in answering those questions than it has done in the past couple of weeks. Mark Paul, where's it going next? Well, I mean, uh, we, as I said, we have those various investigations. We have the Law Society investigation, the police investigation, the political investigations. There's also been um, um, what, what, what could crack us open to a certain extent, uh, if there is something to be cracked open uh, is the authorities in the US because of course Cerberus is a regulated entity in the US it's a big US private equity company um, journalist Elaine Byrne um, um, who writes for the Sunday Business Post she's made a complaint to the FBI um, 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 she has uh, she has alleged um, that Cerberus uh, she hasn't made an allegation against them but she has asked, she, she, she has written to the FBI and she's asked the FBI to investigate uh, on the basis that Cerberus is subject to um, um, white collar uh, uh, to, to, to business regulations in the US that will be overseen by the US Justice Department. Um, also, a group of uh, a group of, it, it's been reported in another uh, in another daily newspaper that a group of businessmen who hired private investigators who tracked down this seven million pound payment um, and that they have made a complaint to the US Department of Justice about this. Um, 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 again, on the basis that Cerberus is a regulated entity over there. Now, Cerberus again, to, for, for its part, has said it did nothing wrong. It paid no money to anybody, um, and and the, the 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 payment to Tunes was made by a, wasn't made by Cerberus. It was made by Cerberus's lawyer, and Cerberus says it wasn't made at its behest. So um, um, it all depends where these investigations go. But all the while, um, business goes on. Cerberus is uh, is working its way through the loan book that it bought. But it, it's gained control of about a thousand properties um, in Northern Ireland. It's 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 taking some of the, the people who can't pay. It's taking them to court. It's appointing administrators. Um, I mean, most recently, I think it appointed administrators to the uh, to the businesses of uh, of a, a very well known developer. There, called John Miss Kelly, um, who, who who was once seen as a bidder for Liverpool Football Club. That's that's of the scale of money he had during the uh, during the boom years, um, and uh, and and it's doing deals with other developers who are re- who are getting refinancing from elsewhere to get away from Cerberus. So look, Cerberus has bought Cerberus has gone on a twenty billion euro shopping spree of European distress loans in the last eighteen months. But the Northern Ireland loans were by far the most heavily discounted um, um, loans. I mean, it bought loans in France, in Scandinavia, in UK. Um, Mostly, usually at a discount of about 20-30%. The loans that are bought in Northern Ireland, I mean, there was 5.7 billion euros worth of loans. It paid 1.6 billion. Um, so a huge Nam- discount. Nama would say... Uh, that the the price paid was the value at the time. That was the value. Well, the price and, and, and the market determines the value, and nobody bid higher. So, in a sense, perhaps they're correct from that point of view. That you know, if nobody else bid higher, well, then that's the price. That's that's what they're worth. Um, but um, the point that I was making, I suppose, is that is that it's Northern Ireland portfolio of loans is. Um, the most distressed portfolio that Cerberus has. So it's it's going along business as usual, bringing people to court, appointing administrators, working its way through the loan book and trying to make itself a book at the end of the day and and, and, and that's why they're there. Kieran Hancock, NAMA is, an, of course, an arm of the state. It is a public body. Is there more that the government here could be doing to clear all of this up? Because it's, uh, it's not good news. No, it's not. I... I'm open to correction on this, but I think the Comptroller and Auditor General is supposed to be reviewing the transaction. And the Comptroller and Auditor General is basically the 
the oversight, the state's oversight of the work of NAMA. It produces a report every year and its annual report. And early on in the activities of NAMA, it produced a report for um, for the PAC uh, based on, you know, the setting up of NAMA and, and so on and so forth. And it was then that we realised that they had paid over the odds. They had paid something like 22% more for the loans that they took from the five banks at that time than a private equity uh, interest would have would have paid at that time. So it's it's I suppose it's the area of the Comptroller and Auditor General if there is to, to be an investigation or maybe, you know, Michael Noonan could set up some sort of special review maybe with a, a current or former judge uh, in charge to review this whole affair, but that would be a matter for the Minister for Finance. And the work of the Comptroller essentially then goes to the, the Public Accounts Committee. That's essentially the, the procedure, isn't it? Well, yes, you would expect that to be the forum at which um, the, the findings, if you like, would be aired and uh, um, investigated or, you know, questioned. Uh, and on a matter such as this, you would think that we wouldn't have to wait for the, the controller's annual report. No, no, for sure. Um, I don't know how long it would take the controller and auditor general to do a, a review of, of such a transaction. Um, I didn't, you know, I guess it depends on staffing levels and priorities and all of that kind of stuff. But if it were to be given some urgency, uh, which it should be, then uh, you would think, you know, certainly by by the end of the summer, we should have some details on it. And it's also the case that the controller would have, uh, as a matter of uh, right and routine, uh, access to a much higher degree of information than anything uh, mere. mere journalists would have. Oh, for sure, yeah. That so the, so the right of access is there and yes. uh, you're, you're, you're in a scenario where you have a, 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 a typically an, a, an entirely open flow of information. Yes. Kieran Hancock and Mark Paul, that's NAMA. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. But now to the banking inquiry, now in its 25th week. Kieran Hancock, uh, you're still going up there uh, two days a week. You, you must be the world's greatest living expert <laughs> on the inquiry at this point. Uh, in there before them today was John Corrigan, who's former chief of the National Treasury Management Agency, and also Pat Farrell, who is now a spokesman for the Bank of Ireland, but who uh, in the pre-crash era was chief of the Irish Bankers Federation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a couple of interesting nuggets, I suppose, came out of today's uh, inquiry hearings, at least the, the first two. Dermot McCarthy, the former Secretary General of the Department of Taoiseach, is speaking at the inquiry as uh, as we record this podcast. But uh, let's deal with the two earlier uh, speakers. John Corrigan came before the committee first. And the most interesting takeaway point, if you like, was the fact that in late 2010, uh, the Libyan Sovereign Wealth Fund, and this was uh, in the period before uh, Colonel Gaddafi was overthrown and, and subsequently killed by revolutionaries, uh, that they expressed an interest in buying a substantial stake in Bank of Ireland. Um, effectively, it would have been an investment of 1.4 billion euro, and that would have break, broken down between 1 billion euro uh, for preference shares that held by the state and uh, 400 million euro for a 24% share of the ordinary shares of Bank of Ireland at that time. Now, um, 
the sovereign wealth fund of Libya at that period was pretty well recognized around the world. It, um, the NTMA managed the, the state's holdings in the bank at that time through the National Pension Reserve Fund and John Corrigan had responsibility for the NPRF. So they approached the Department of Foreign Affairs to see if there were any issues that the government might have uh, with it dealing with Libya with the regime there, etc. The Department of Foreign Affairs said it was comfortable for us to have these discussions. Um, there was a trip uh, to Tripoli in Libya and there was one day of discussions with the uh, Libyan Sovereign Wealth Fund in relation to its potential investment in Bank of Ireland. And in the heel of the hunt, um, they pulled back from it for the very simple reason that they had a fear at the time and it proved to be uh, well-founded that Bank of Ireland was going to need yet more capital in 2011. That actually turned out to be the case. So they simply would have been writing a blank check, if you like, uh, in relation to Bank of Ireland and they weren't prepared to do that. So it was Tripoli that pulled back, not Dublin? It was Tripoli that pulled back, not Dublin, yes. And not long afterwards, we had the uh, emergence of the Arab Spring and all that followed it, and uh, restrictive yes. measures as sanctions are known. That's right, Libya is a Gaddafi broken family. state now, as, as we know, Colonel Gaddafi is dead, and the Libyan Sovereign Wealth Fund, well, I, I don't know precisely what's happened to it, but I, I guess it's, uh, you know, I guess it's it's in a bit of a mess, uh, given given the mess that Libya is in at, at the minute. There was also some other interesting uh, nuggets from Mr. Corrigan this morning. He said that in November uh, 2008, so we're, you know, we're a couple of months, well, but probably about six weeks after the guarantee, uh, he wrote to the Minister for Finance, Brian Lenehan, and said it was the NTMA's view that Anglo should be nationalised. At the time, the Department of Finance was considering a recapitalization of Anglo. Um, now, subsequently, Anglo was nationalised in, in mid-January yeah. of the following year. So, you know, we're talking about a couple of months uh, time frame, but... The, the government did uh, decide to proceed with that recapitalization. It subsequently got overtaken by events in relation to the nationalization. He was asked how much the state might have saved if it had uh, nationalized Anglo at an earlier date. Um, and John Corrigan said he really couldn't put a figure on that, but it would simply have been about you know getting its hands around the, the problem, uh, getting rid of the management, uh, sorting out some of the governance issue measures um, that were clearly evidenced to him at that time. The, the business model was broken and they really needed to get their hands around the problem at a, a much sooner time which was and the problem was morphing all the time this it, was kind of it, this was a it was it, that's it, right it was snowballing yeah, Anglo was out of control really yeah. uh, spiraling out of control and you know it, there was no way back for it uh, essentially that's one thing we've learned from the banking inquiry none of the experts who've gone before it really think that, uh, that there was any way back from for Anglo from the period really in March 2008 when its share price tanked by about 18% in the so-called St. Patrick's Day massacre. I remember it well. Uh, Kieran, what about Pat Farrell? What, yeah, Pat Farrell then went in front of the committee. He was chief executive of the Irish Banking Federation from mid-2004 until mid-2013 when, as you said, he jumped ship to Bank of Ireland where he's now head of group communications and he deals with government uh, relations, if you like. And he was asked, he was interrogated almost in relation to a representation or was it lobbying um, there was a dispute over that at the committee today uh, in relation to Depfa Bank. Depfa Bank is a German IFSC bank uh, with a headquarters in Dublin in the IFSC. It was in trouble in uh, late Listed 2008. Listed in Germany as well. Listed in uh, yes, Germany. that's right. Yeah. It, it was in trouble in late 2008. The government introduced the blanket bank guarantee for the domestic Irish banks. That created uproar with the uh, foreign banks that were operating in Ireland, particularly the likes of Bank of Scotland and Ulster Bank and so forth back back in the time, but also uh, with the likes of, of Depfa, who had covered bonds um, here in Ireland. And there, Depfa was a member of the IBF, 
And it would seem that DEPFA asked Pat Farrell to make a representation to the government uh, with a view to it being included in the bank guarantee. Now, there but for the grace of God and all of that, because if DEPFA had been included in the bank guarantee, the Irish state would have been put on the hook for something like 130 billion or more. Uh, and a the, mere 130 a mere million. Hundred, yes, absolutely. Um, Sean Barrs made the point that the rescue, the total rescue of the Irish banking system would have gone from 64 billion to 190-odd billion euro. So thank goodness uh, we passed that particular parcel back to the Germans. Um, so Pierce Doherty of Sinn Féin wanted to know uh, from Pat Farrell, why was he lobbying on behalf of a German bank that clearly was in financial difficulty? And why was he arguing that this liability should be put on the backs of the Irish taxpayers? Pat Farrell put it back to him that he wasn't lobbying. He was he was merely uh, making a representation. He sent an email um, to the, the, the Department of Taoiseach General, uh, Secretary General, um, uh, Dermot McCarthy, who's in front of the inquiry again today, as we speak, as it were. Um, and he asked them uh, to consider including DEPFA in the guarantee. Uh, so but there was sure a bit of backwards I mean, and forwards. The guarantee was for $440 billion. Sure, What's another 160 billion? Well, indeed, indeed. Uh, so Pat Farrell said, look, it was a, represent- a representation. It wasn't lobbying. He was merely passing on um, the information that had been provided to the IBF by DEPFA. Uh, Pierce already sees it in a rather different light. Mark Paul... You haven't been down at the banking inquiry, but uh, like all of us, you, you share an avid interest in it. Um, uh, what's your reflection on the on the whole affair at this point? Is it working well? well? Yeah, well, look, you know, we've had the big political figures now. We've had Brian Cowan um, and we've had... Um, it's taken somebody... Uh, like the, 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 the testimony from the bankers, from, from Eugene Sheehy and so on, it just seems so long ago now. The thing is dragging out so long that, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the bankers must be sitting there delighted with themselves that all the politicians have come in the meantime, and uh, everybody's memory has just, uh, I, I mean, I can't even remember what Eugene Sheehy said. I mean, I mean, how many weeks ago is it since he was there? Oh, it's quite some, quite some weeks ago, all right. Uh, I suppose a lot of the uh, focus of Eugene Sheehy was around the night of the bank guarantee and what, what exactly the banks were looking for um, yeah. on that night. And there has been some um, conflict in terms of testimony given by um, the bankers, uh, particularly the AAB bankers, Dermot Leeson and Eugene Sheehy and some of the other people uh, who were there in government buildings on the night of the guarantee in September 2008. But, 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 but you, you, you'd have to wonder as to, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the, the timing of witnesses being brought in, who will be brought in right before we go into an election, you know, because I mean, obviously obviously, obviously, obviously this, uh, this bank and inquiry, um, um, although, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's politically motivated, but of course it's very convenient for, uh, for Fine Gael to have a bank and inquiry, to have all these old Fine Fall figures brought up right in a period where, you know, everybody expects an election either towards the end of this year or early next year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what revelations come before um, you know in that in in in, in that run-up period and, and and what sort of effect it has on voters. You know, and on that point, actually, it's uh, notable that Enda Kenny and Richard Bruton, who didn't have any hands on any levers of power uh, in the run-up to these uh, momentous decisions, they've been called in front of the inquiry. As have Pat Rabbit, the former leader of the Labour Party, and Joan Burton, the current leader of the Labour Party and former finance spokesman of the Labour Party. They've also been called in front of. The the uh, inquiry to give evidence. Now, they were all in opposition, it seems, 
quite frankly ludicrous to call them but uh, I think that's party politics at play and they're, they're likely to be challenged as to why they would have uh, voted for things such as the guarantee these kind of well, things well of course Labour didn't vote for the guarantee well, certainly so in the, that's in the their, well, that's yes. their one yes. saving grace I suppose out yeah. of all of this they're being hammered for everything else but they can always say that they never voted for the guarantee maybe that was luck I don't know but um, they will certainly be uh, asked questions I would have thought uh, about why they were calling for the government of the day back in the boom years to spend yet more money on public services uh, and to and not to you know, uh, cut back on X, Y, or Z. They wanted more money spent on health and education and uh, various other areas. And they wanted, you know, they wanted, uh, certainly in terms of the Labour Party, they certainly wanted increases in welfare payments at the time. So, uh, and now, of course, uh, they were the ones that had to introduce a lot of the austerity uh, subsequently. So, you know, Brian Cowan made the point, Charlie McCreevy made the point when they were in front of the committee that, yeah, listen, you can blame most of you want for... Uh, for, for what happened in, in pumping up the economy in the years before the crash. But can I just remind you that the opposition parties wanted us to spend even more money at that time. Almost like children looking for more. Well, indeed. And Bertie Hearn, uh, with our former great Taoiseach, he will be in front of the committee tomorrow um, to discuss his time uh, in charge. And by all accounts, he's going to come in and say, listen, lads, uh, nobody told me about the global financial crisis coming down the track. I did my best and, uh, you know, I made a few mistakes, but uh, there you are. I did my best. I, I, I did my best for the country. Um, Mark Paul, uh, it seems to me that this has been a, it's been a very interesting exercise. Uh, a lot of very uh, good information at times coming out, um, mm. uh, certainly in, in, in laterally. Um, but it seems to me that the, we're in a scenario where there's been fewer, if you like, bombshell revelations rather than, uh, let's say, an iterative process of just information, more and more information gradually coming into the public domain. Well, look, look, look there's an element of information fatigue. You know, we've had how many um, um, reports on on, on, the, on the banking crisis now, and it's uh, it, there's just a con- it's like a it's like a flow of lava to me, uh, just a constant flow of information, um, um, but nobody actually making any judgments in all of this. Um, and look, at, at the end of the day, this committee is going to have to, or this inquiry is going to have to produce a report. There's already been allegations that um, of political motivation in the uh, uh, you know in, in in terms of the timing of having the inquiry and so on, um, and those allegations will resurface when the report comes out. Um, so, you know, you'll have a report. Well, it's it's no, going to be a narrative report. Yeah. Like they're, they are forbidden, expressly forbidden from making, from, findings. From, from making findings of fact. So, you, so it makes you wonder what's the point of the whole thing at all, you know? Well, Carol? I think there is a point to it. I mean, the banking crash is one of the major events uh, in the history of the state since 1922 when we gained our independence. It almost took the country under. So we had to have an investigation. Unfortunately, the investigation, in my opinion, has been has come too late. Um, there are also flaws in terms of the fact that they can't bring any of the former Anglo executives, it would seem, uh, in front of them already. Uh, three of them have been given a pass. There's an expectation down in Leinster House that uh, another two, William McAteer and Peter Fitzgerald, will also be excused duty in front of the committee. We've yet to see if uh, Michael Fingleton, the former chief of Irish Nationwide, will actually appear before the committee. And uh, David Drum has given a, a witness statement, but he hasn't uh, indicated whether he's actually going to come and appear. Um, he's, uh, he's currently in the United States. Um, I think we've had a lot of granular detail about the Night of the Guarantee and about uh, some of the detail of 
the advance negotiations in relation to our bailout program in late 2010. And I think that's important because unfortunately records, great records anyway, weren't really kept, written records weren't really kept, especially around the night of the guarantee. That's something that uh, Brian Cowan said he regrets now and he apologised to the committee that, that that didn't happen at that time. So it is important from that point of view that we actually get to hear from the main players um, as to what happened uh, on those nights. And they were momentous n- nights in terms of the history of the state. And uh, you know, There's and, no and, doubt about that. But, but, and, and, but, but, but if nobody is allowed to make findings, you just have a situation where um, um, one set of actors will come in and say, we did everything we could, we, we did our best. Another set of actors will come in and say, you didn't do everything you could have done. You could have done this, you could have done that. The doll is the forum for that um, and for one, shout, one side to shout at each other and one side to defend no, each other I, disagree, I, disagree. I, mean, I, mean, I mean surely you've got to have a situation where somebody makes findings No, well sorry they, they, they will I mean they will have a report and they will you know I, they have to make some findings they have to sort of make some conclusions and they're also to make some recommendations on, on you know um, why and how this shouldn't happen again I, I would have thought it was kind of blindingly obvious at this stage um, what we should not do in the future. But anyway, uh, I, you know, if you just have a doll debate, um, that's only going to be held between politicians and it's it's only going to be like a You can't uh, have bankers and you can't have bankers at a doll debate. No, you, you can't. But it seems you can't have you can't. the inquiry either. But yeah, absolutely. No, it's a flawed process. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's certainly not a perfect uh, process, but it is what it is um, and we, we just have to get on with it. But I think it is important that we have... Uh, that we had an inquiry, it just should have been held earlier and, and really would have been better had we had the likes of the, the Anglo bankers in to answer for themselves. Carol, how many days of evidence are left at this point? Well, I've calculated there are another nine. Uh, that takes us up to the middle of September. That's when they've said they're going to close it off. It's open to them to go beyond that if they wish. If, and certainly they might do that if they want to recall some witnesses to get some clarifications. It might even finish a bit sooner if some of the witnesses that they've called uh, don't appear. Uh, for example, Michael Fingleton, he's slated to appear in September. But as, as it stands at the minute, there's another nine days after today of, of evidence uh, to be given. And um, the likelihood is then that there'll be a report then in mid-November, I think. Yeah, they'll break up in mid-September. And well, all they're saying is that they will have it, uh, they hope to have it completed by the end of November. Now, there are a lot of rumours going around that the government might call an election in November. Um that seems unlikely if the if the inquiry won't have its report ready until the, the end inquiry, of November. The inquiry will lapse once the once the, house the inquiry lapses. The, election, the inquiry lapses. Uh, once that's, that's completely yes. Once once the, the the doll is dissolved effectively. Once we go into general election mode. Now I don't think that the government is going to is going to do that uh, with a snap election early in February. But perhaps uh, back to your point about mid November. Perhaps they can produce a report by then, and perhaps the government can't have its election then, or perhaps they'll hold off to the spring. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's all part of the intrigue of uh, of this process. And I should say that in addition to the public hearings, we're actually going to get a, quite a number of written statements from various uh, actors in the whole uh, saga. They've decided that they don't have enough time to call everybody, so they've agreed to just take witness statements from certain people. Kieran Hancock, thank you very much. And Mark Paul, thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. My name is Arthur Beasley. Tune in again.